John chapter 3, 1 through 8. And this is a, a very famous bit of scripture. Many of you have heard it before. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night. I'm going to pause here for a minute. Uh, the Bible doesn't say this accidentally, right? Uh, comes to him at night. He's sneaking around. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. The Pharisees don't like Jesus. In fact, they're plotting to kill Jesus much of the time. Jesus is rebuking them, right? These religious leaders. So Nicodemus is one of them. Jesus is kind of like the enemy. So you got to picture him like not wanting the other Pharisees to know he's coming to Jesus now at night because he senses something special about him, um, but also doesn't want to be chastised by his cohort, right? And Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we all know that you are a teacher who has come from God, although we don't want to admit it, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, born again, it is not possible to see God's kingdom. And Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born again? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time. Gross. <laughs> Jesus answered, uh, don't take me so literally, Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water, an allusion to baptism, and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's a lot of things to say about this passage, and I'm just going to talk about one small sliver. This idea of being born again, and even that terminology for me growing up, that was like a real Christian distinctive, right? So I can remember... Like in high school, I was like the youth group kid who was, whatever, always at church. And so, you know, I would talk to people in high school that weren't Christian, and they would, you know, the term was something like, so like, are you, like, are you one of those born-agains? Or whatever, like, are you a born-again? And it was almost like they just wanted to know, like, how zealous was I? You know, how, how, how guilty should they be for, like, smoking behind the handball courts or whatever? Um... But this idea of being born again was almost like how you defined yourself as a Christian, right? So uh, if you're Christian, you've sort of been reborn into this life following Christ, into this kingdom of God where we sort of submit uh, to the reign of God in our lives. The passage here sort of has this allusion to baptism, which is rebirth, right? It is drowning in the waters. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You drowned in the waters and you, you, you are reborn out of the water, now a new creation, right? Uh, accepting of God's grace and forgiveness, part of this new community where we are part of this world, but we're living as citizens of God's kingdom with a new value structure where we love 
not only our neighbor, but even our enemy, right? This new creation. And, and rebirth is a gift of God. Rebirth is this invitation where God is saying, Joe Bankard, you don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to live according to the voice of shame in your head. You don't have to live according to the voices of guilt or fear or anger, bitterness and greed. You don't have to live like that anymore. You can be reborn, right? A new creation. Not that I'm not going to struggle with those things. Not that those things won't be a part of my life. But in some ways being reborn is that the strength of the shackles those things put me under are loosened, right? Are weakened. The question I want to answer today, though, is how? How does this happen? How do I accept this gift being offered to me that says I don't have to live this way anymore? How do I accept this invitation of new life, of rebirth? I think part of it, and maybe a big part, and what I want to focus on today, how do you embrace that? Repentance. This is a word Methodists don't talk a lot about, right? We, I mean, John Wesley has a lot to say about it, but right, this isn't something I focus on a lot, this idea of repentance. Many of us, again, have come from church backgrounds where we felt judged. We felt like the church was closed-minded. Um, and part of that is the guilt or the shame we were meant to feel. feel. And so we don't want to talk about sin and we don't want to talk about repentance, but I really believe repentance is the door to embracing new life. So part of this is figuring out what do we mean when we say repentance? What does it mean to repent? Um, at a shallow level, repentance is like feeling remorse, feeling bad about something, feeling some, some guilt or sorrow or shame. But I think this is like a, a, a one-dimensional view of repentance um, I don't think the primary purpose of it is to feel bad about yourself or to feel guilt or shame. But in some sense, repentance is about ch like changing the way I live and changing the motivations by which I live, doing something different, turning away from my anger and lust and greed and shame, turning away from that and turning towards the love of God. So it's like an actual change of behavior, right? Like a 180 degree shift from the person I was before I accepted the grace of God. So I'm going to talk about a few elements of repentance, right? So one element is like confession that I... I speak the words into existence uh, of my sin or of the things that control me that I wish didn't control me, that I speak those into existence, that I do have feelings, desires of not wanting to be that person and wanting to accept God's love. And then there is the action. There is the actual tangible changes, the baby steps I take to let more of God into my life and to embrace new rebirth, new life, transformation. So confession, feelings of 
and desires for change and then the concrete steps to do that. If we can begin that process, which it is a long process. You know, in my earlier days, I used to think like, well, it's just a one-time thing, right? Accept Jesus into your heart. He clears all the stuff out, and that's it. I'm born again. Well, that's true to some extent, but then over time, my life gets cluttered. I, I start stacking stuff back into that closet that God cleared out. I start to cultivating all kinds of habits. It's not even like horrible things like, oh, I... I did this giant wrong thing. It's often just the slow accumulation of habits that make me more selfish, less inclined to think about other people. Um, the self-talk in my head gets more and more negative, And I start to build my chains link by link. And God is continually saying, but I want to keep setting you free from that. I want you to be reborn. And so I have to keep coming back, confessing, repenting, turning away from those things, letting more of God into my life. So here's where we might start, right? This is just practical in my mind. We might start with just a brutally honest self-inventory to really look at our lives closely. In Stoic philosophy, uh, Stoics and even modern Stoics would do this as a journaling practice. Nightly, they would take really brutal self-inventory about their thoughts, actions, desires, many of which would be good, some of which not so good, but they would use that as a reminder about how the next day they might want to live differently. So thinking about those places in our lives where we have hurt other people, where maybe we didn't hurt other people, but we hurt ourselves in the things we say and do and we don't take care of ourselves, in the habits that accumulate slowly over time that pull us away from relationship, that pull us away from ourselves and, who the, and the people we want to be, the people God is calling us to be. And the more we can become aware of that, the easier it becomes then for the truth, for confession, to set us free. And part of this is going to God, but part of it, and this is sometimes the harder part, is going to the people we hurt, right? And saying the words, I've hurt you in these ways and I'm sorry, right? That I have remorse. Confessing to ourselves the way we hurt ourselves, right? Like as weird as it sounds, like looking in the mirror and telling myself, I'm sorry, that I don't care for you, Joe. That you can love other people in the church, but you're not taking care of yourself, right? Like that there's a real confession and there's power in the words coming out. And then there's some strategic plan where we're going to try to let more of God into those closets of clutter, more of God's grace and love into our lives so that we're going to live differently in the future. And for, for different people, that looks differently. All right, do I need accountability so that new patterns are in place and someone's going to ask me about those? Do I need more of this and less of that? Right? What am I going to do differently? What baby steps am I going to take so that my repentance is not just confession and it's not just feelings of remorse, it's tangible change. So I want to give a few case studies to highlight the differences here. And I think you'll resonate. 
So like case study one is confession without real change or repentance. And this is, the, this is the kind of thing where we all know people in our lives, and some of us are these people. We feel bad about ourselves a lot. We know we screw up and hurt people, don't follow through, forget things. And so we are constantly apologizing and feeling those feelings of shame. But very little ever changes. Very little actually in terms of like, making a concrete plan for change, it doesn't come to fruition. So we're just constantly saying we're sorry. Right? In an extreme case, this is like the addict who feels terrible about themselves and commits to being different, but it's the same cycle. It's the, it's the systemic cheater who says they're sorry but never changes, right? But in, in smaller ways, many of us are like this. That's not repentance. That's not new life. That is not rebirth. That is not the gift. God's offering you. It's almost like if I feel bad enough about myself, I don't have to change. That's my penance, right? But penance is not repentance. I'll give a second case study. This is of me and my brother. So me and my brother, Bob, have a loving relationship. I, he would do anything for me. He, is, he loves me deeply. He is such a loyal brother. But we also have conflict in our relationship, right? So we'll have various conflicts when we visit. And neither of us will ever look at the other in the eye and just say, I'm sorry, man, I screwed up. What we do is the stereotypical male thing, which is when we leave, we'll be introspective, we'll work on it. And when we get back together, we are better. My brother is so much better uh, at at being less type A, at listening. I've seen him do the work, right? I'm working hard on my end, which is awesome, right? Our relationship, but neither one of us has the courage enough to be vulnerable and to actually apologize, to actually confess and connect in those ways. We'll just do some stuff to let the other one know, right? We're working on it. But repentance is when we can take these things together in some way and make this process in our lives regular, routine, right? I confess, I make changes, I accept God's offer of new life. Patterns accumulate, I confess, I repent, I accept new life. And I think about this great example in Scripture of Peter. So Peter, in Jesus' hour of need, Peter, who has been the disciple that has been the most outspoken, that seems to jump to Jesus' defense, when Jesus needs him most, denies him not once and not twice, but three times. And Jesus, excuse me, and Peter is filled with deep shame. And so it is Peter on the boat fishing when the resurrected Jesus is on the shore and they see him, Peter jumps off the boat, can't even wait, jumps off the boat and swims to shore to, to confess, to say he's sorry, to let Jesus know, I blew it. And of course, Jesus extends grace and forgiveness, but repentance is clear because after that encounter, Peter is so faithful to God in the midst of persecution, in the midst of his own life, that eventually Peter is crucified upside down for his faith. 
A person went from denying Jesus three times to being a martyr because of the transformation that occurred, because of the rebirth, the new life that happened uh, in the idea of confessing and then the change that occurred because of that. That's full-bodied repentance. And I think about the work that Hillary and the racial justice team at Collister are trying to do to own the history of this neighborhood and this church. That members of this church in 1940 were part of those CCNRs that were overtly racist. It is not enough for us to give lip service. It is not enough for us to feel bad. It is not enough to, for us to have white guilt or to confess. Repentance means we're going to do something different in light of this. We're going to change the culture of this place, of this neighborhood. We're going to seek new life, rebirth, the gift that God is inviting us to even now. What if we could change our perspective and recognize that this process should happen monthly? That this wasn't a one-time thing, but that we would need to do it again and again and again. Accept and re-accept and accept one more time God's grace and love and the new life that God offers. That's my prayer for us today. So if you'd pray with me. Lord, you come to us this moment, wherever we are at, behind these computer screens, saying, Oh, honey, you don't have to live this way anymore. That you come to offer us the kind of love and grace that offers resurrection, that offers new life. My prayer is that we would have the humility and the courage to accept that and all that it entails, that we would confess with our mouths and our lives and that we would do the work of real transformation to say yes to the gift that you offer. Amen. If you would please join our closing song.